0: If you would remain standing and take your Bible, turn to First Timothy chapter 2. We will read uh, from verse one through the several verses that we are considering today. but I want to go back and just review what we've been through for those of you who have not been with us, we seek uh, to go as much as possible through a book of the Bible and see what it has to Say to us, and so we've been discovering some things that uh, God, through the apostle Paul, wants to say to the church of Jesus Christ. And in chapter one, we saw that um, leaders are are urged to prevent the pollution of false teachers. We are urged to depend upon the power of the gospel to save sinners. Last week we saw the priority of prayer. Two weeks ago, last week, the passion for missions. Today, we focus on the preeminence of Jesus Christ as our only mediator. So let's start with verse 1 and read all the way through verse 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Father, thank you for the magnificent words that we have been singing, for the scripture that we have been reading to encourage our hearts, and now for the word through uh, the Apostle Paul in one of his last letters to the church. I pray that we would um, understand what His words mean and then apply them to our lives and to the life of this church appropriately. So help us by the power of Your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On December 9th, 2019, just off the coast of... uh, northern New Zealand, there was an eruption of an active volcano. People knew that it was active for many, many years. It had become a uh, tourist destination, and 47 people were on that island when it erupted. 22 died. 25 were injured. Many of them severely. The primary problem from the eruption was the severe burns from steam and hot gases. Jan and I watched a documentary on this last little while, and we heard from some of the survivors. They said they were nervous. One of them said, in looking back and learning, that there are three levels of alert that are issued, one being the lowest, three being the highest. And the agency that does this, had, they had said that this was at a level two. This guy said, if I knew then what I know now, I would never have been on that island. I would have done everything that I could have to gotten off of that island, he and his wife, who were survivors, though severely burned. Now today, just to, to segue, we are talking about, we are considering, as I said a few moments ago, what a healthy church looks like. We have said, go back, preventing the pollution of false teachers, the power of the gospel being released to save sinners, the priority of prayer, we already did that this morning, praying for those in authority. Last week, a passion for seeing God save people from our neighborhoods to the nations as it is God's heart to do. And God, we saw last week, spells out how that happens exclusively in Jesus Christ, our mediator. In this present passage of Scripture, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So I want you to see this. God's heart is inclusive. The gospel says, enter in all who will. It is inclusive. But his way to save, I want you to hear this, is radically exclusive or limited. I had never heard this before I studied this passage of scripture but this passage right here has been referred to as the scandal of particularity because it sounds so narrow to so many people 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 23 24 we preach Christ crucified that is an exclusive statement, a stumbling block. The reason why it's a stumbling block is because it is so exclusive. There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We preach him. We preach Christ crucified. We don't preach other means of salvation. And that, folks, is a stumbling block, a scandal to the Jews, and it's folly to the Gentiles. It's an offense but to those of us who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, and that in terms of how we are saved. Now, if what I just said is true, here's why it is such a scandal to so many people. If Christ really did die, and that is the only way to be saved. Do you realize what we're saying by that kind of exclusivity? We're saying that that excludes all other religions who do not hold to Jesus Christ alone, and it means we exclude all other isms who don't hold to Christ alone. It sounds so terribly normal or nor- narrow because it is so terribly narrow now when you think about it, it and let me say this give this as a caveat that does not mean that we go around thinking that we are superior and looking down our noses at other people but it does mean that we stand firm on the reality that there is one way and one way o- only against all other religions. Do you know what religions that I'm specifically thinking of? I can't go into all of them. But that means Judaism is not a way to be saved. That means that Islam, well, let's put it in the terms of an ism, Mohammedism is not a way to be saved. Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, Mormonism, atheism, because they all exclude, and we're going to see this in just a moment, one of those might have caught you by surprise, but any religion or ism that does not focus on Jesus Christ alone for salvation is in error. I said isms, I I put those religions as isms, but that also means relativism. You know what relativism teaches, don't you? And, and, And those of you, students who are in public schools particularly, and maybe other institutions, and you'll hear this in the workplace, that things are relative. In other words, there is no absolute truth. Now, when someone says that, ask them if they really believe that, and you know what they're going to say? Absolutely. (laughs) So relativism is rejected. So is pluralism. If relativism teaches that nothing can be truth, uh, then then pluralism teaches that everything is truth. And that too is fallacy, because not everything can be true at the same time, but then you get to the last one, Humanism, which says, I am the source of all truth. This passage clearly, forcefully, powerfully reminds us that there is but one God who has chosen but one plan of salvation through one mediator, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is the one ransom by which people can be saved. So, let's walk through this. You see where I've divided it up. We're going to talk about each one of these little pieces of the Scripture, for there is one God. We affirm that, one God. We go back to the Old Testament, and we look at the, the statements which bleed over into the New Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Now, a question that I ask as I study through this, and maybe we need to ask, is did, God, did Paul really need to start with this affirmation that there is only one God? The answer is Yes do we need to start with the affirmation that there is only one God? The answer is yes. You see, in his day, people needed to know there wasn't a Jewish God and there wasn't a pagan God or gods. And in our day, we need to affirm there is not a God for Christians and another one for, I've already mentioned this, we'll mention again, for Muslims or Buddhists or Hindus or any other religion that denies this. All other so-called gods, please put a little g if you're writing that, are not equivalent with the one God We see in the Bible as the three in one God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nothing even comes close to the God revealed in the Bible. And I hope you see why this is so important. If we allow that there are other gods, then we must allow that there are other ways of salvation. But let's jump to the New Testament and listen to the Apostle Peter where he makes the affirmation, preaching now to a group of Jews primarily. And he says these words, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. What Paul is doing, and he's doing it, he's been doing it now for the last 2,000 years since this book was written to the church at Ephesus, he's been reminding believers of the exclusivity that there is but one God. Let's look at the next phrase. If there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men. There is only one way because there's only one God and there's only one mediator. Now, let's define what mediator is. A mediator is a go-between. A mediator is a middleman. And primarily, you think of a mediator, at least in this context and many other contexts, someone who stands between, listen to this, two parties that are offended with each other, and who are in conflict with each other. Now again, consider the question. We looked a little bit at this last week. Is there really a conflict? You know, sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. It's an old saying. Preaching concepts, truths from the Bible that you all know and affirm but I can tell you this is not the case everywhere. And even among some of your friends who profess faith in Christ, this is radically different. Is there really a conflict between God and men that requires a mediator? is there? Is there? I challenge you, ask that to just a person on the street or a person in another church that's just nominally biblical. You know what they're going to say? Where did you come up with that? Don't you know that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life? There's no conflict between God and me. Now, last week I asked another question. Here's a nuance of it Do we need a Savior? Why? Because we are sinners. Great answer. I still haven't found out who was the young person who gave me the answer to the question or the, the, the thought that I had. Cats have cats. Dogs have dogs. Sinners have, and I hesitated. Do you remember that? Some little one back there said, dogs Sinners have sinners. We need a Savior because we're sinners, because of sin. Now, today, here's what we are considering. It's, a, it, it's the same, but it is different. Please get this. Do we need a mediator? Interact, interactive, come on, come on. Yes, Why? Okay, if we need a Savior because of sin, we need a mediator, get this, because of hate. Write that down. We need a Savior because we are sinners. We need a mediator because of hate. Now, that is a strong word. and My guess is that there may be some here today that what I'm about to say, what I just said, that we need a mediator because of hate. Remember, a mediator stands between two parties that are in conflict. And I don't think it's a stretch for us to think sometimes that those parties in conflict come to a place of hating. We need a mediator because of hate. Even though a great many people do not see this as a need because they've never considered it, They've never seen what this passage means for those of us, not only who are in Christ, how we can understand how that has been settled, and those who are outside of Christ. A lot of people, listen, a lot of people are just like the 47 tourists on that active volcano island. They're walking around and folks, it's not a level two danger. It, it is a level three. Most are unaware of the danger we are in and the reality that we need a mediator because those outside of Christ hate God. All right? Here's what the Bible says. It's right there, it's not, it's not scrunched into a little bitty place, just like the other side is not. So we need to get a picture of this. The lost person is not neutral. Don't ever think that. The mindset on the flesh, this is a description, read all of Romans 8. The mindset on the flesh, which is a lost person, is hostile to God, not neutral to God, not wishy-washy toward God hostile to God, it does not submit itself to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Lost people cannot. They, they cannot for works or anything else please God, for it is while we were sinners. I'm going back to Romans 5 here. It is while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So, all outside of Christ are in this precarious position. But there's a bigger problem. By the way, again, we need to realize there are only two classes of people. Those who hate God and those who are in a position as children of God, learning to love him. There's not a neutral position. Jesus said something else, Acts chapter, well, this is not actually Acts 4:12. I got that wrong. It's John 15:18. The reference for that. If the word, and he was telling his disciples, "Look, there's a lot of hate in the world. If the world hates me, how could the world hate Jesus? My goodness! but realize if the world hates you, it is because it's hated me before it hated you. That is a problem. But a lot of us have not considered the other side of the issue. We are at enmity with God. We are at war with God. That's one of the reasons why we need a mediator. But the other reason, the bigger reason is, now are you ready for this, is because God Hates, evildoers, sinners who are lost. And this sounds so stunning. Wait a minute, Pastor. Doesn't God love the world? Yes, He loves the world of lost sinners. And this is not just a crunched out. I, I, I was working to find one verse of Scripture, a passage of Scripture. This is the common thought of Scripture. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Last week we looked at this verse Romans 1 18 and then 2 5. Here it's expressed as the wrath of God. See, we're able sometimes in church, we we get into the. uh, kind of the rut of we accept certain words that we've normalized and we don't think they're as bad. Hate has a lot worse sound than wrath and they're one of the same, okay? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man. Here, here's the, the, the condition of the lost person. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Then there will be wrath and fury. Folks, I've never seen myself as a fire and brimstone preacher or teacher. with all my heart all i want to do is just tell you what god's word says and if you happen to be in this audience this congregation today and you're listening to this sermon you're thinking wow that's a that's a kind of a different concept and i've i've tried my best to prove that i am not making it up that this is what god's word says then I am not your enemy. I'm, I'm your best friend for telling you the truth of what God says. An undeniable fact. Now, there, there's one more that I want to show you before we go on to an, another thought. John 3 is usually called one of the love chapters because John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But later on, in that same chapter, is the other side of the love of God, which desires to save. Save from what? Save from sin and save from God's wrath. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What a wonderful truth that is. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. And this is important, but the wrath of God remains on him how could it remain if it's not already on him as a son of disobedience? Now, this, very, very important. The reason this is so hard, even even for believers who have not been brought up with this accurate biblical teaching is because what we tend to do is to overlay Our concept of love and hate onto God. We do not love like God loves, okay? We we can't even get close. And so for us to take man's hatred, which in most cases is not righteous indignation, it is just hatred that spews out of the fallen human heart, and we try to put that onto God's hatred for sin, that's where our problem comes. Don't overlay your concepts, fallen, tainted by sin and corruption, onto God. He says as much in Isaiah 55. He says, look, I know this is about some other situations going on, his salvation and all that that means, but it applies here. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's why we say, That these truths are absolute and that brings us to the exclusivity of how we deal with that. Who in the world, realizing that we have to be saved from our sins and there has to be a mediator who can stand between the two parties of hatred, man and God, who could that possibly be? Who would dare stand between God and men? Who is the only one qualified? By the way, this this is pretty serious stuff. And it's exactly what Paul has been telling us, that there is only one who can save from sin. There is only one who can mediate between us and God. Look at it on your notes. It's the third line who is that one person? The man, Christ Jesus. Do you realize why that's so important that he put that in there? In our Awana class, we've been studying for the last two weeks the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. We threw that big word in the first week. I just told the kids, hey, if you want to really impress your parents and you leave from Awana tonight and your mom or your dad asks you, hey, what did you learn tonight? Well, we learned about the hypostatic union of Christ. I thought that might be kind of a fun way to get into a conversation. But really what we've been talking about is how that God, Jesus could be fully God, 100% God, and fully man, 100% human being at the same time. So it had to be Christ Jesus who was a man. The God-man, Christ Jesus, 100%, 100%. The eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity. I'm saying it over and over in different ways to try to make a point. The God-man, the anointed one, the Savior. Why did he have to be fully man? Because only one who had lived as a man perfectly without sin, he was the perfect, unblemished sacrifice, could serve as the sufficient and efficacious sacrifice for the many. And as God, He had to be God at the same time in order for His sacrifice to be good for all of His people for all time. It's kind of like a a bridge has to be anchored on both sides in order to be effective. Now, let me ask you, and it's one of those... Duh, questions. Preaching to the choir. Are there any other mediators? Wait, wait. What about Mary? Wow. Just read. Read some of the beliefs. They'll say she is not in a certain place but then in their prayers, they pray to Mary as the mediatrix, as the mediator between us and Jesus. What about the saints? Can we pray to them? What about angels? Okay, here's one. What about pastors? Wow, you didn't hesitate with that, and you shouldn't. Now, is it okay for you to ask Uh, 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 an ABF class member or one of your friends, if you've got a problem, if you've got something coming up, if you've got a health issue to pray to intercede for you. Yes, but without the understanding that that person is in any way a mediator that is standing between you and God and affecting your way to get to God. There's only one Only one who has fulfilled the offices in the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king. I could do a whole sermon on that. Jesus was our perfect prophet. He told us the words. Muhammad is not the perfect prophet. He's our perfect priest. Moses was a good priest. Melchizedek, but they are not the ones who stand in the stead of us. And he fulfilled the office of king. I was trying to think. There was Nebuchadnezzar. He declared himself king of the world, but he is not the sufficient king, only one. You know, I went back and as I was studying, I, I, I thought of the story, the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ. I thought of the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And then I thought forward to John chapter 8 and verse 56. I don't have it on the, on the screen. But in John 8, 56, Jesus said some, some words that are kind of interesting. He said, Abraham, Rejoiced to see my day. And he was exceedingly glad about it. And I thought back to when did Abraham see Jesus and why was he so glad? Well, it could have been Genesis 12 when the call was issued and the promise was given to Abraham he would be the father of many nations. It could have been Genesis 15 when the covenant was cut with Abraham. It could have been Genesis 18, when Abraham was told, you will, Sarah will bear a son. But I believe that it's found in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And there's a lot of rich symbolism in that. When Abra- Abraham's hand with the knife was raised to plunge into the heart of Isaac, who, by the way, went as a willing sacrifice, carrying his own wood. Wow. But then God said, Abraham, don't kill him. And Abraham looked. I think he was glad that God provided, Jehovah Jireh, provided the ram whose horns were caught in the thicket. And when it says, Abraham was glad to see my day, he was exceedingly glad because he saw a picture of Christ, the only mediator, as the ram was the only mediator who could keep Isaac from certain death. Let's move on to the next statement, who gave himself as a ransom For us all, there is no man who can give himself as a ransom. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. We we know that. There's a song that says, and it's good. I just think it needs to be kind of raised to another level. You remember the 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 song? It's a little chorus. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. But now listen, here's where I say that song needs to be upgraded. He didn't just pay the ransom price. He was the ransom price. And Mark tells us, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave. Look, to give. He gave. He initiated. Nobody made him do it. That's why I always love verses like John 15, 16. You did not choose me, I chose you. John 10, I am the good shepherd. I initiated laying down my life for the sheep, and I will take it up again. His once for all, substitutionary death on the cross was the ransom that freed us. And any other religion, ism, that takes away from that or adds to that is heresy. And this is the testimony born at the proper time. Jesus said, I am, here's his testimony, I am the way, I myself am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Galatians, Paul said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. God has a plan to save his elect, and he also has a procedure by which we reach people, and that is the last phrase that we will consider today. For this, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul's heart was to proclaim the gospel. We see it here in this verse, verse where he said, I, I, I don't count my life as dear to me if only I may fulfill the commission that God has given to me. And what was that commission? You find out in the book of Romans chapter 15, where he said, my mission is to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. By this time, when he was writing to Rome, he'd already made it to Illyricum. But he wasn't satisfied. Why? Because Jesus said, my gospel is to go to the ends of the earth. By the way, that's why he wanted to go to Spain. So he could preach the gospel to what then most people considered was the end of the earth. Now, just just a question. That's Paul's commission. Okay, church, here we go. is that our commission as well? wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not Paul. Your commission is going to be your commission. His commission was to be a church planter. And a lot of Christians will say, well, since I'm not Paul, then that really doesn't pertain to me. But in a book that we're studying in our ABF class We find that this is applied to every believer in this room. You are a chosen race. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a part of that chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's your new identity. But here is the reason why that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I may not be cross cultural missionaries, but we are proclaimers in our sphere of influence. First, our family, then our workplace, our church, and wherever we go in the world. You may not think that you have much to offer. Offer what you have. February 26th, we're having a missions conference. It's a one-day Sunday only. We're going to be hearing from the missionaries that we support as a church. I hope you will plug in and learn more about that and about what you can do to be a missionary, again, using what God has given to you. And not saying, I'm not a Paul or I'm not a Marty or I'm not a... Whatever else, but using what God has given you, many of you have heard the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I don't know that among evangelical Christians that there is a person who hasn't. He literally changed the world at his time, in his time. Do you know how he was saved? Do you know his conversion testimony? Here it is. He was a 15-year-old young man who was lost. And he was out walking down the street. I don't know why, but this is his testimony. He was walking down the street in a snowy condition. It was snowing terribly. And to get out of the bad weather, he went into a primitive Methodist church. I'm really not sure what a primitive Methodist church is. The pastor didn't show up that day. And for the sermon, literally, a man got up and read Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. And Spurgeon said, The Spirit of God took the Word of God and drove it into his heart, and the light went on, and he was saved. And we don't even know who the name of the guy was who simply read the Word. You say, I can't do much. Can you quote a scripture? to someone, you will never know what God can do with you and through you, through that. As you go out and declare, there is one God, there is one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony to be born at the proper time. Father, I thank you for the reality, the gospel message in these verses. I thank you that you give us the promise of a mediator. And oh God, how I cry out to you on behalf of anyone who is in here today who is not a follower of Christ, maybe a church member, maybe someone who has attended for a long time, but they have never Repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ and his work, his finished work on the cross. I pray today that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would help them to hear the words, Turn to me and be saved. And then, Father, I pray for those of us who know you, we would have a deeper appreciation for you taking care of the hostility that once existed between us and you by sending your Son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, to be the only sufficient and efficacious Savior for us, the mediator, the go-between. I pray that we would come to even a deeper and greater understanding of that, live out the implications of that to a lost world around us. So, Father, help us now as we respond and as we sing and as we go out of this place. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.